Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Sonny Strasberg joins me to talk about their hero's journey therapy, and psychedelics. Sunny's a certified psychedelic trauma therapist. She's also trained in EMDR and IFS, as well as ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. And she's the clinical director of the TRIP app. I would totally recommend you get the TRIP app if you have an Oculus or a VR headset, T-R-I-P-P. It's super helpful to get into meditation, And also, it gives you a ton of different things that it can do for you every day to get you into flow or meditation or take you now on some pretty cool journeys. If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. That would be super helpful for us in growing the Leadership 2.0 mission. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders that turn their teams into happy high performers. So if you're interested in anything leadership development, one-on-one coaching, keynote speaking, conflict management, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com. Everyone, thank you so much for listening, and here's the interview with Sonny Strasberg. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski, and... I'm flying solo today. Susan is out in with a client. So it's just me today. And obviously, we have a special guest. But first, we always have to start off with a quote. And so I have one here from Stanislav Grof. Mm -hmm. And he says, a radical inner transformation and rise to a new level of consciousness might be the only real hope we have in the current global crisis brought on by the dominance of the Western mechanistic paradigm. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) We're definitely going to dive into the pocket, and that voice is our special guest today, Sunny Strasberg's with us. She's a certified psychedelic trauma therapist, She's also the clinical director at the TRIP app, or it's if folks have an Oculus like I do. And actually, hey, I've been using the TRIP app for, I think, about three years now. That's Um, great. And she's also IFS trained, EMDR trained, and a specialist with ketamine. Sonny, how are you? I'm so great. I'm so excited to see you today. Thanks for having me. And what a wonderful topic and a wonderful quote to start us off with. I love it. Absolutely. And this is actually a full circle moment. You didn't really, I'm not sure if we talked about this before, but you were recently on with David Drapkin from Psychedelics Today, and he's a friend of the show. And he actually connected me with Dick Schwartz, who got me to the retreat. And that's where I met you. I love it. That's the 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 magical way, the magical path brings us all together. It's a small world. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, he's an incredible guy. And anyways, so Sonny, for folks out there who are new to you, like I gave a little bit of your qualifications, but tell us a little bit about your journey here. Mm. <laughs> well, I've been a trauma therapist for a long time. 
I, uh, I've been interested in psychedelics for a long, long time. In fact, in the early 2000s, we lived in Costa Rica and I helped at a, at an ayahuasca retreat center. I helped people who are coming for healing, integrate their experiences, you know, with all of my therapy expertise and trauma expertise. It's really a big conversation about how people can have these mind expanding, you know, amazing spiritual awakenings and then have to come back and sit in a cubicle in the Midwest somewhere, right? <laughs> so that was a big process is helping people, um, you know, have these uh, experiences and then walk back down the mountain, back into their lives, their daily lives and ground themselves into understanding how those experiences can apply to life. And so that has really been a huge part of my journey. I'm I'm really amazed that we're in the middle of this psychedelic renaissance in the United States and that we're having these conversations about how psychedelics can help people in their lives above board, you know, all these studies, these beautiful studies, ketamine is being used, you know, throughout the United States and other countries. And it's very, very exciting. It, it, uh, it couldn't come at a better time. So I'm, I'm really passionate about helping people work through trauma, depression, anxiety, and using psychedelics to help amplify the effects of, of therapy and how we can help create longevity and, and depth in the ways that we can help other people. These days, I'm doing a lot more consultation and teaching, hosting retreats, um, doing speaking engagements like this. Um, I recently authored a book that's going to be released this summer. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, so that's been a shift is, is, is really reflecting on how I can help more people and leverage my influence to help millions of people in this time. That's my, my goal and my vision is to help people reconnect with one another and nature and lead from self energy to use IFS language. <laughs> And that's sort of what, before we jumped on, we talked about it, but that's been your leadership journey. And it's something that we always talk about on the show is mm -hmm. leading for impact and yeah. change. So can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that? Like, how has that evolved for you? And how have you started to think about your impact on the world? Mm. Yeah, it's been a big transformational process for me. I'm, you know, my concept of leadership has really changed. And I, I, I think that it's in alignment with how our collective understanding of leadership has changed. You know, in the old days, we were in this process of thinking that leadership meant this hierarchical structure, and it was coming from a dominator culture and, and you know, capitalism that was about consuming. And so the leader of an organization would be, you know, the, the authoritarian that would, you know, direct everyone underneath him, you know, more often than her. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that there's been a shift, you know, and, and maybe I've been thinking a lot about this, Rob, I think it's been informed by technology. Um, the way that, you know, artificial intelligence, for example, has access to all information at all times, it's a very collaborative system. And I think that's really informed us to be more collaborative and horizontal instead of vertical in a hierarchical structure. And realizing that good leaders don't control other people, good leaders, um, effective leaders help see the potential in other people, empower them to be the most that they can be, help people aggregate 
really good information. And a good leader takes all of that information is, and is able to synthesize that and then offer that to others to, to potentiate others' power, right? And that's, I think, what I can help people do. Another thing I've been thinking about a lot, and this has been my personal experience, and I see it with my therapy clients all the time, leadership isn't an external process. It's an internal process. If we have the ability to be really beautiful leaders to our own internal ecosystem, right? We're all, we're people that, that have many different parts. We have very vulnerable parts. We have parts that we're ashamed of, where we exile. We have manager parts. We have protector parts, right? And if we're not good internally, if we shun our internal vulnerable parts, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to project that to the outer world and we're going to shun exiled parts and others. That's the old paradigm, right, of controlling others. So I think leadership starts at home. It starts internally, right? And, and leading ourselves with integrity, with self-leadership. In IFS, self is courage and calm and clarity and confidence and creativity and compassion. You know, all of these self-like qualities that we can affect internally, then we see that that has a ripple effect in all of our worlds. So that starts with our internal system, then our family, our in, our intimate relationships, our circle of friends, our businesses, our social networks, our bigger levels of influence. And so now as a therapist that works with a lot of leaders, when someone says, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kicking ass at work, but my family is falling apart. Okay, that's <laughs> that's something to pay attention to, right? Because that should be a thread throughout internally all the way to the external world, having integrity and good self-led leadership. And then we don't have that turbulence that or that disconnect, right, in in all of our worlds. So that's how I'm thinking about leadership now. It's it's in, it's inverted rather than this external thing. It's funny we talk about that a lot on the show. Is the self mm. first? And I think it's one is this journey about who you are and the gifts that you have and becoming just understanding of big S self. And I think a lot of, I mean, what you've mentioned, right? It's like if we're manager led or we're firefighter led, like what are we trying to do? Gain control, push others down, feel good enough because we did. And those are the things that created those workplaces (laughs) before but we're, we're seeing in the data and in the research, it just doesn't even work anymore. Right. Yeah. It's so fun to see younger generations that just do not tolerate that. <laughs> you know, it's great. It's like they're, they're informing us, you know, because they were raised on social media. And, you know, there's some benefit to that because they're very non-hierarchical. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate your insight about that because it's very true. You know, self-led leadership is important and, and it's definitely where it's at. And, you know, frankly, we need this kind of system now. We can't keep going the way that we've been going. These consumptive patterns that we've, you know, in dominator culture just doesn't work anymore. And and we're seeing the ending of that. Um, A really fabulous book I read recently is Douglas Rushkoff's book. Um, It's uh, The Survival of the Richest. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing book. And there's this little quote that goes something like, you know, building a rocket ship to Mars that goes fast enough to, to, you know, faster than the exhaust that it's creating, you know, and that that just doesn't work anymore. We're not going to escape, you know, and, 
when I was reading that book, I was thinking so much about IFS and leadership and how this idea that we're going to somehow escape the problems that we've created is kind of like escaping our own exiles, right? Escaping our own traumatized, vulnerable parts and just being in denial that they're there. And that's not great leadership. Great leadership is saying, how can I have compassion and connectedness to the most vulnerable parts of myself? Taking that out, how can I have compassion and connection to the most vulnerable parts of our world, the most vulnerable humans, the most vulnerable ecosystems and animals and plants? How can I have more compassion for that? And that to me is where great, great leadership lies in this next epic of time. Mm-hmm. No? And I, that's the part that I think we struggle with. And I read this quote yesterday. I think it was from Kristen Neff, but I may be wrong. And she mm-hmm. said, the parts that connect us is not love. It's our shared trauma. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jung has a quote that says, uh, we can only take our patients as far as we've gone ourselves. And I see that a lot as a therapist, that really good therapists understand what it means to be in the underworld and aren't trying to be in denial of our own underworld, but rather being willing to go with our clients and have enough personal experience and self-leadership that we can hold the lantern for people who are suffering. We're not pushing them. We're not pulling them. We're not directing it. We're just holding a lantern and saying, we don't have to stay in the underworld forever. And I'll walk with you here. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's that I think that is a good metaphor for a good leader too, is being willing to meet people where they are, right? With a vision, always holding the vision of what's possible. So let's talk about the underworld a bit. Like for folks out there who are maybe new to doing some of the, I guess, the shadow work or the protective work or the exile work. Like mm-hmm. how do how would someone start, and then like what are kind of what does the journey look like for you? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, I'll start by saying, you know, I, I think in our culture there's a lot of what's called spiritual bypassing. This idea that again, it's kind of like that rocket ship to Mars. It's this idea that we're going to somehow repress all of this shadow. And just have unicorns and rainbows and everything's going to be great. And if anybody has problems, then that means that you're not a good person. And that's (laughs) definitely not the case, right? Um, We all have issues that we struggle with. And doing the shadow work is the ability to titrate. I think that's an important word, titrate into dealing with difficult things and often having a guide to help us titrate into difficult, challenging experiences. So I think that's why I'm being careful talking about it because we can re-traumatize ourselves by going into our own shadow worlds if we don't have the tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, uh, you know, I'm a Jungian. I was originally a Jungian. And, and this idea of the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about and um, looking at, you know, he says, at some point the hero must go into the cave and face the dragon is we're terrified to go into the cave and face the dragon, but we have to do that. It's, we can't keep staying with what is known in the, in our village. You know, we all hear the call we've got to go into the cave and that dragon holds the pearl of our individuation in its claws. And we have to, you know, he says slay the dragon, but I'm much more, (laughs) I love dragons. So I think we need to negotiate with the dragon. 
sometimes we need to embody the dragon and look through the dragon's eyes to understand the dragon's experience, right? And retrieve that pearl of individuation. There's no way around that. We have to do that work um, if we want to have a depth of our life experience. I mean, sure, you can you can spiritually bypass and you can have this surface level life, but you don't get that nice richness, you know. It's always a choice. Everything's a choice. You can choose to go and do that work. But it's it's an arduous journey sometimes. It's a difficult journey and <laughs> and worth, you know, the path is made by walking. It's worth walking the path, right? Because then we we have this feeling of triumph and you know the the amazing we we reach the peak of the mountain and we have this awakening and we see the pattern of our lives and and that comes with the hard work of walking the path up the mountain right yeah and then and then there's the process as i said about walking down the mountain and grounding that and what does that mean to be generative in our learning how do we help others walk that path the hero's journey the heroine's journey I love, I mean, I love two things you said. One was titrate. I mm. love that because it's something when I started doing therapy, it was, well, one, I was like suicidal, but I was like, mm. I'll do anything to feel better as fast as possible. Yeah. And I was jamming probably two to three sessions in a week um, wow. and just trying to basically feel better. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, that's a manager part that was mm -hmm. doing that, but it was like very much, I think, eventually slowed down the healing that I could have had. Just it was too I, much. Yeah, I, I appreciate your insight around that. You know, I think a lot about metabolizing trauma, metabolizing difficult material. And there's a, there's a process to that, right? The, the metabolization, the digestion you know, of things takes time and there's a process to it and understanding that, you know, I think to circle this into the psychedelic conversation, you know, it, there's such a focus on these glorious, you know, medicine experiences. And, you know, now we're in the trade, we're talking about the Michael Pollan effect, you know, people read the book and think, Oh, I'm going to take mushrooms and I'll be healed from all of the suffering that I have. <laughs> Definitely not the case. It's not a one-time thing. It's not, you know, you don't have this, you know, peak experience and then you're good to go you know, it's, it's a process. And, and it's so important when we talk about titrating, we're talking about preparation before a journey, right? Having the journey and then metabolizing and digesting the material that we experienced. So then once it's fully assimilated into our system, it's like a labyrinth where we have that ring that we've processed and metabolized. And then we circle back and we go deeper we go deeper into the labyrinth and we do another round of metabolizing and another round and another round. And that's the work of being human because being human is about contrast, right? It's about, we understand on some level that there's this beautiful divine energy and somehow we're separated from that connection and divinity. And that creates this suffering and we're constantly trying to get back to that. And that's the beautiful thing about being human is navigating that tension between those opposites, right? Yeah. But it's this beautiful path that we're walking. <laughs> and so how do, like you mentioned it, right? Is like, let's say we go to a retreat or we, we you know, take psychedelics and we have this, you know, 
I don't want to use the word ego death, but this transcendent experience. And it's similar to the hero's journey in a sense that like we've, you know, we've slayed the dragon and now the, the end of that is like, we got to come back to the village and share what we learned. Yep. So how do we start to integrate those pinnacle experiences with coming back to and sitting in a cubicle? Right. That's a very important conversation. Um, so how do we do that? I think taking time, finding a daily practice. It's interesting how self-discipline, a disciplined practice, really gives us freedom. It's ironic and paradoxical, but it's true. So having this commitment to connect with oneself every day. I have a daily practice that I do every single morning. It's a daily magic practice and meditation practice. Every morning I'm there at my, at my seat you know, meditating, and this gives me connection to the divine. So any way that you can remind yourself of that peak experience, some people like to listen to the music that they listen to during their psychedelic journey, for example. Some people sing the songs, some people, you know, read their journal entries. So that way of connecting to self-energy, right, because psychedelics can give us that self-energy. And then connecting with that and then asking our parts, our internal ecosystem, how can I serve you today? How can I bring that medicine into my life today? What does that look like for me to be in self-energy when I go to the gas station? In the most mundane tasks. And this is not new information. I mean, the wisdom traditions, the mystic traditions have been talking about this for thousands and thousands of years, right? How do you chop wood and carry water in an enlightened way? Yeah. And, and it's about connecting those things together, bringing a bridge maker between the spiritual world and making everything you do a prayer, making everything you do an intention, making everything you do casting a magic spell for well-being for everyone involved. Right? And that takes practice and it takes awareness. Yeah, there's no easy, fast way to do that. <laughs> that's the yeah it's an incredible journey right and i think i think one thing for me was like like i go to the clinic here and i'm home you know in a couple hours and i felt like having that plus having therapy <laughs> helped me really integrate the experiences into me and Beautiful. I, we had a few folks um, who went to retreats like in South America and I mm -hmm. felt like they got back and it was sort of like, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. And then the protectors came in extra and were like, we're absolutely. not allowing this to happen anymore. Yeah, absolutely. That's an important point. I talk about this a lot in the trainings that I do. And again, to use IFS language, the medicine, the psychedelic, or any medicine, works through us the minute that we start imagining it. It's not just ingesting the chemical. You're inviting a relationship to expanded consciousness the minute you decide, right? So you're, you're titrating into that experience and preparing for it. And part of that preparation that I do with clients is talking to their protectors, 
and saying, look, we're going to have this psychedelic journey and protectors are going to be off duty during that journey, right? They're not going to be able to be hypervigilant and controlling. Do any of your parts inside, are any of them worried or have concerns that we want to discuss before you do this? This isn't essential because what happens if you don't do that prior is that these protectors that are used to taking care of things and keeping those exiles in the basement, those protectors are forced offline on a high dose psychedelic experience, ketamine, psilocybin, LSD, ayahuasca, MDMA, whatever. Those protectors are are forced offline. Exiles can come out and make themselves seen. And while we're in the experience, we can connect with self-energy. We're in that expanded state where we're connected to the all and the divine, right? But then those protectors wake up again. And there's that that it can, it rubber band effect or rebound effect is very, very common. In fact, I just was supervising a group yesterday where they talked about that, that this woman who was incredibly depressed felt the euphoria during the ketamine journey. And when she came back into her depressed protectors, they were incredibly punishing hmm. and disappointed that, that she doesn't get to have that euphoric experience all the time. So there's that rebound effect. And, and it's important that as therapists, we support our patients in understanding and, and talking to the protectors and letting them know what happened, right, as they come back online and having conversations about what does it look like to unburden these protectors so they don't have to be so hypervigilant, right? So, yes, I see that all the time, and it's so important to obtain consent on the front end <laughs> and then help update the protectors on the back end, right? But when our protectors and managers and exiles are unburdened, using IFS language, when they are able to let go of their traumas and their and the stuff that they're carrying that's not theirs to carry, they're self-led. So all of our, we're not getting rid of parts. I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand about IFS. We're not getting rid of parts. We can just be in self-energy. We're helping deputize our parts to be led with self-energy. We're connecting them with self-led leadership and or self-leadership. And that's really important to help people do. And this underscores the importance of having, of sitting with people that know what they're doing in psychedelic spaces. There's a, there are so many people underground, you know, there are great underground therapists, but there are also people that are not well-trained in the underground. And there are also people that are above board that are doing ketamine experiences that really don't have good training. Mm -hmm. These training programs are popping up all over and it's like, oh, learn to be a psychedelic therapist in a weekend. And (laughs) I'm sorry, but that just doesn't, that doesn't fly. (laughs) It's not, that's not good. Yeah, it's, it's totally, and and that's the thing I, I think I want to reinforce with folks is, and you said it, right? It's, we're not slaying the dragon. Mm -hmm. The dragon wants to feel recognized and heard and seen and that it helped protect you in these moments and then you're transitioning its role from the dragon to whatever it wants to be yeah and i think where i would like to ask you sonny is a question that i think i get a lot but it's like Folks are scared to do the work because they're scared that they're not going to work hard afterwards. 
Oh, interesting. So their protectors are worried that they're not going to be as driven. What would you say to those folks? Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the dragon, if it's okay. Can I back up 30 seconds? Because I love this metaphor. Um, I'll, I'll share a Stan Groff quote with you. Another one. He said, the acute experiencing of a negative emotion is the funeral pyre of that emotion. So important to feel it. You know, everyone says in psychology, you got in order to heal it, you got to feel it. So in the dragon metaphor, Bill Richards, a wonderful mentor, who's a really OG psychedelic um, researcher from the 60s and 70s, talks about when the dragon shows up, instead of resisting the dragon or slaying the dragon, try to go into the dragon and look through the dragon's eyes, Mm -hmm. experience through the dragon's eyes. And that to me is a metaphor for unburdening what's called a firefighter part, a very extreme protector part. Yeah. So to your question about working hard, it's kind of like you don't know until you know, you can't, imagine through the lens that you're looking through how you're going to feel when you're on the other side of that. So then that question about working hard becomes kind of irrelevant because you're looking at it through a trauma lens of having to drive yourself and whip yourself into shape and, and beat yourself up. And that inner critic has to be, you know, you know, really strong so that it can just tell you how terrible you are, what a bad person you are to kind of push you into action. And you go through these experiences psychedelic experiences like i've had ketamine experiences where i'm in there and i'm like why are you freaking out so hard (laughs) it's fine (laughs) you know you don't need to be like that you can be in a place of ease and joy and the irony is because ease and joy is such a beautiful way to expend energy it frees up so much energy to be creative and connected and it actually makes you more effective but you just don't have that drive to, to beat yourself up anymore. And that is gone and something else happens. And that question becomes irrelevant. You might not even want to work as hard as you did before. And that feels genuine. That doesn't feel like the wrong thing to do. Right. So you kind of don't know until you know, (laughs) you have to be willing (laughs) to not know until you know, (laughs) And the not knowing is the part that scares the protectors. Absolutely. And especially for those of us who are driven and successful, you know, because those parts have really helped us get where we are. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. Thank you to those parts that have helped us get where we are. And, you know, working with people in leadership that, that then have a psychedelic experience, that's a very interesting process to say, wow, I'm so grateful for those parts and all the suffering and the burdens that they were carrying. And now that I'm in this place of leadership, I don't, I don't need that anymore. That's not helping me anymore. In fact, that's kind of toxic now. And that's an interesting thing to watch that happen. Right. And I'm sure you've seen that happen a lot with the people that you work with and are affiliate with. Right. It's, it's incredible. And it's, like even one of my folks said to me the other day, they're like, things aren't perfect, but I've never been happier. I love that. And it's, that's sort of the call for this is 
the work will shake out. And even <laughs> your journey and my journey are similar in the sense that like our impact has only gotten larger the more self-led we've become. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting. Like, you know, I, I had this protector, you know, being raised in a very patriarchal system that thought that I had to compete and I had to kind of elbow my way to the front, right. To be able to be seen. And that got me so far. And now I'm realizing the more generous I am, the more complimentary, the more I help uplift people around me and push them to the front of, of the scene and what we're doing and collaborating with people. It's so amazing how that comes back and has helped me so much. The more I've let go of the rope of competing and trying to elbow my way to the front, the more life has opened the path for me. Right. I have this um, practice where I imagine um, that I am a magic wand. I am magic in the world. I'm a resplendent well of creativity and magic. Each of us are, all of us are. And I put forth that, that desire in the universe with what I want. We can't help but do that. That's just kind of like being humans. We, we yearn for things. But I'm also practicing receptivity. And that's something that we don't talk about enough in our culture. We're really good at asking for things and being, um, you know, I think of it kind of in the Jungian terms as a masculine energy, putting stuff out in the world. Mm -hmm. But that feminine energy is the receptivity and attraction right? Of, of trusting that what we're doing is going to come back to us and we will receive. And so in that balance, in, in archetypal psychology, it's called the conunctio, in that balance of masculine and feminine energy creates a circuit. So you're casting the spell and then you're receiving. And the reception is really what activates and creates, creates magic, creates the, the life that we want to have. And that's been an interesting process because that creates a lot of trust in turning things over to my guides, turning things over to a larger system and showing up with integrity and wanting to be in service, right? Wanting to help others. And in that process, it has opened up so much magic for me. So many beautiful relationships, just knowing you, Rob, has been such a gift in my life, you know, and, and, and it came about through that process. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you about that because first, I mean, my journey was similar. It was weird. So I, I quit my full-time engineering job. Uh, it was August of, I think it was 2021. And we didn't have anything lined up on the leadership side. It was like wow. a few, like talking to people, but it was, nothing was there. And then it sort of like, I think it was like two weeks later, it was like contract full steam ahead and like everything was coming in the door. And it was like something, obviously, like I was really in this place of like, I don't know where I was. There was a bit of the like growth, but there was also that element of the manager, which is like, you got to make money, you got to be secure, you got to be mm -hmm. on point. And even one of my clients yesterday, we were talking about it and things are starting to happen for her in this way that are just clicking. And she's feeling this shame of, do I deserve this? Is this real? Is this, or is this like dark, dark energy or the devil that's trying to trick me 
or like mm. that type of thing. So like, what would you say to folks who are starting to learn and open up to receptivity? Mm, I love that question. <clears throat> you know, this goes circles back to how we open the hour talking about that internal ecosystem, right? And the fear of shining, you know, that's been a process for me is as I've gotten bigger, there's this fear that like, it's almost like moths to a flame that I'm going to attract, you know, and, and that's really my own stuff that I need to work. So instead of looking out here about controlling these outer experiences or shrinking from something, that's immediately a sign that I need to do some internal work, right? Like what parts of me are, are afraid of being seen? How can I unburden that little exile that's terrified of being seen, right? And so that's what I would ask of her is like, this is wonderful information. It's showing you the turbulence that's inside of you. Time for shadow work. Let's get in there and figure out what, what needs to be unburdened, you know, what help you need there so that you can totally shine. Yeah. I love it. Now, mm -hmm. Sunny, we got to hit you with the big questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> Our favorite questions. If there's anything you could tell our community of leaders, what would it be? Mm. It's do your work. Be willing to go into your own parts and your own system and unburden yourself. I promise you it's so fruitful. It will help you in your journey in this life. It'll create more ease and joy on your path. Do your own work. There's no way that you can escape your beingness when you're with other people, when you lead, when you do business, when you have relationships in your family and with your friends, it's all about who you are in your essence. So cultivate your garden to be the most beautiful, rich, inviting place to be internally so that you can emanate that love and compassion out in the world. <laughs> I love that. And the last one, what do you want your legacy as a leader to be? wow, I'm constantly asking how I can be more in service and how I can walk the medicine path with integrity and helping as many people as I can. I have this really big vision that if I can help people come home to themselves and be more compassionate with themselves, that so that will emanate out. I'm very passionate about the environment. I'm passionate about animals, wild animals, and creating ecosystems that are rich and diverse. And I really believe that humans hold the key right now. We're we're the we're we've overpopulated the earth. We've we've you know polluted our earth, and it's time for us to take accountability and mature to go from you know in Jungian terms, the developmental stages are the athlete, the warrior, the giver and then the mystic. And I think we're moving from warrior phase collectively into the giver phase. And I would love to see that. I would love my legacy to help inform this new epoch of time, which is to, to go from taking to generativity and sustainability with our energy, with our compassion, with, our, with each other and with our world. And so my legacy, I would hope would be, she contributed in some way to that vision for all of us. I love that. <laughs> That's incredible. And it's something I think maybe we can talk a couple minutes on this, but it's like, for me, pre 
ketamine. I did have I didn't have any access to one was spirituality and two was this element of like nature being important. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a month or two ago when I went to ketamine, it sort of like clicked to me like that when I was working in mining, it was partly the damage to nature that was impacting my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, this is new. <laughs> yeah, wow, wow. Yeah. But I'm I'm curious, like how how would you explain the psychedelics opening up those new realms for people and maybe what they could discover with using that type of tool? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I think that that there's consciousness in everything. Everything's imbued with consciousness. That's actually the reality. And because we're in these little human monkey bodies, we collapse all information down to like, how can I survive? Right? <laughs> it's like, and, and Aldous Huxley said, the human brain is a huge reducing valve. So I think that actually psychedelics open us to reality, actually. And what is real is that we're connected to everything. We're not separate. And on some level, when you were contributing to the mining industry, there was some part of your soul that was like, this isn't right. I don't want to contribute to that. Right. And it was making you sick. I think that there's this macro and micro experience that we have, right. The holographic kind of way of experiencing. So being in right relationship, I think that psychedelics open us to this idea of right relationship and generativity within the ecosystem. And this really interesting experience recently where a client of mine was having a ketamine experience and I had this gorgeous purple plum tree outside of my office And he was having this whole relationship with this plum tree. It wasn't like, oh, that's just a tree and here's the road and here's the sky. It was like, this tree is my brother and I love this tree. And it was this whole experience of connection to nature that was so intimate and personal for him. And so then it it becomes this relationship that he has where it's not, oh, I'm overwhelmed by the environmental stuff and climate change and I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. No. He has this relationship with this plum tree, and I'm going to protect this plum tree, and he's my brother. And there's something about that 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 makes it so that we're passionate about the world that we move in and our connection to it. And if everybody does that, if all of us do that with our little circle that's around us, we can have incredible impact in the world, right? Like I, I don't use any pesticides in my yard because I have a relationship with the owls that live in my yard. They come and they eat the mice that are outside and the squirrels. And there's this whole thing going on. And I have this intimate relationship with it because I understand that I am one part of a whole thing that's happening around me. And psychedelics can help us do that, right? I love it. Sonny, I don't know, uh, Susan says this a lot, but this does not feel like work to me. This was an incredible discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Me too. I'm looking forward to having you back on for uh, another one because, yeah, whenever your book comes out, let us know and we can totally jump on one and talk about it. I would love that. I would love that. Thank you, Rob. It's such a pleasure to know you and to collaborate with you and create magic with you. I love it. Absolutely. And for folks out there, so if you want to connect with Sunny, we dropped her LinkedIn in the podcast notes, but you can also find her at SunnyStrasburgTherapy.com, SunnyStrasburgRetreats.com. Sunny's also on Instagram with her personal page, but also your art page, which I would totally recommend for folks. (laughs) 
Sony is, is an incredible artist and she does some stuff with her husband and, and all that. And it's really cool. Is there anywhere else, Sonny, you'd like folks to find you? I think that those are the main ways, you know, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn too. So yeah, but the Sonny Strasberg therapy is a great way to, to learn about me. You can sign up for my newsletter there. I send out quarterly newsletters, keeping people up on all my comings and goings. <laughs> And, and you can find her at Southwest, uh, South by Southwest. I don't know if it, the pot will be out in time, but she'll also. <laughs> Obviously for us, if you're looking for anything, leadership, development, one-on-one um, -on -one mindset, coaching, that kind of stuff, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com. And also, if you like this pod, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and share this with any leaders in your life. For me, I got another quote from Timothy Leary. And he says, the danger of psychedelic drugs, the danger of mind opening, the danger of consciousness expansion, the danger of inner discovery, is a danger to the establishment. <laughs> Let's create a new establishment. <laughs> and that's what we're on our journey to be, is to take down the establishment of the old school leaders and the taking mm -hmm. and build a world that's sustainable where everyone mm -hmm. can be happy and healthy. Sonny, yeah. it was incredible to have you here today. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Everyone out there, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week.